This episode features dramatizations and discussions of brief body horror and physical abuse. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about Puck or Robin Goodfellow. Today's episode combines elements from a number of British legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello, fellow foolish mortals. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. We've taken you from the depths of the earth to the rocky shores of the Mediterranean Sea with our tales of legendary beasts. But now we're going small, very small, since this is our series on famous fairies. Every week we'll meet a different sinister sprite and explore the stories of their origins and exploits in order to understand the culture they came from. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we're discussing Puck, or Robin Goodfellow, a trickster fae who loves nothing more than chaos in the woods and order at home. It's this contradictory nature that made him an iconic and controversial part of English, Irish, Scottish, and Welsh folklore, and a thorn in the side of Christianity. Coming up, we'll delve into the fantastical origins of Britain's favorite trickster. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There is arguably no greater fairy story than Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. It's a tale of trickery, spurned love, asinine behavior, and joyous reunions. And there's perhaps no character more memorable than Puck, otherwise known as Robin Goodfellow. As another fairy asks him when he first appears on stage, Either I mistake your shape and making quite, or else you are that shrewd and knavish sprite called Robin Goodfellow. Are not you he that frights the maidens of the villagery? Puck is a strange combination of mischief, malevolence, and magnanimity, but in many legends, he's simply an agent of chaos. He spoils milk, leads travelers astray, pinches servants and sex workers, and generally wreaks havoc in polite society. He's a shapeshifter with fiery eyes, who takes on such guises as a naughty child, a playful satyr, and a stubborn horse. Robin Goodfellow, however, is the kinder, gentler side of the trickster. You'd be right to assume that when he wears this guise, Puck at least appears to be benevolent. His favor is bought with bread and a saucer of milk, and in exchange, he will keep your home spick and span. He may be doing this with magic, but he may also be waking your servants up in the middle of the night and bullying them until they clean. 
Either way, woe betide the exhausted housewife who runs out of milk. Judith had never lived in such a large home before, and never in the country. Her husband, Henry, always said he'd plucked her up like a flower from the bowels of London to plant her in the greens of Warwickshire. Judith's childhood home had been a tiny thatched hovel packed in among many others in London's East End. The floor was made of damp earth, and every night as they slept, the family huddled close together in hopes of escaping the cold. Now, after her wedding, Judith commanded multiple rooms and grounds and servants. But despite the grandeur of it all, Judith found herself lost. Her whirlwind romance was full of promises of comfort and devotion, but Henry didn't include instructions on how to maintain the house. He assumed it came to women naturally, like childbirth and such. Judith did have an army of servants at her disposal, but she had no sense of how to manage them properly. Her mother had cleaned larger houses, but never spoke fondly of the cruel ladies who ruled over them. Judith wanted to be different, but she barely felt brave enough to ask the maid for a cup of tea, much less demand that the entire staff keep the property spotless at all times. So Judith did her best. She scrubbed the floors with the maids. She lingered in the kitchen and tried to help, but the cook, the butler, and the grooms looked at her as if she was confused. Judith tried to lead by example, but that example was apparently wrong. Only her youngest maid, Mary, seemed to understand. As they scrubbed the floors together one day, Mary sighed at Judith's hunched figure and reminded her, "'Don't push so hard, miss. We have a long way to go.'" The hallway stretched impossibly long before Judith, longer than the street she was raised on. There was no way to get it all done, not in a day or even several. It was a constant rotation around the manor, finishing one-third of the cleaning only to lose the other two-thirds to new grime and dust. Judith had begun to think it was a place too large for humans to live in. Only a cruel woman could expect her staff to keep it constantly clean, and Judith was not a cruel woman. She just didn't know how to explain it to Henry. Soon, she found herself both praying for and dreading his return from London. The next morning, Judith left the soot of the kitchen behind to wander the mossy grass outside. She removed her shoes and let the feel of the damp earth soothe her. She was feeling overwhelmed inside that big house, but at least this was familiar territory. She laid down on the grass with her arm over her face to shield off the sun's rays, telling herself she deserved a moment of relaxation. Before she knew it, the chirp of the crickets and the rush of the nearby stream lulled her to sleep. When she woke in the early evening, there was a large brown goat standing over her, munching a piece of grass. Judith startled, then laughed at herself. She reached up to pet the animal's head, looked back at the house, and sighed. 
She didn't want to return to her duties, not yet. She looked at the goat and asked, Would you like to trade places for the day? The goat's eyes went to the house as if considering her offer. It tilted its head softly. Then it spoke. If I was ever capable of envy, darling, do color me green. Judith screamed. What else was she to do? She yanked back her hand as she felt the goat's coarse hair grow thinner and softer under her touch. The animal laughed as its features rearranged before her eyes into a young, criminally attractive man kneeling on his haunches, stark naked. He swallowed his blade of grass and smiled. I don't mean to alarm you, but it would be much more fun for us to share the house with me in this form, don't you agree? Judith stood up on shaky legs, her mouth agape. The man rushed to apologize. I am sorry, my lady. Tis only that your hands tell me that you're working too hard. The lady in residence is giving you too many tasks. Lend some of that work to old Robin, and your troubles will melt like morning dew in the sun's warm rays. Judith blushed. She felt embarrassed that she, the lady in residence, was working so hard that she was mistaken for one of her maids. But she was quickly taken by another realization, an explanation for this magic man. And so she asked, Robin? Robin Goodfellow, like the play? He bowed low and smiled. The very same, though I assure you I do not frighten any maiden of the villagery without asking first. Judith was charmed. She liked Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. She'd seen it twice, in fact. She loved the spectacle, the dances and songs, and Puck had been the ringmaster of it all. But she also knew from the play that she had to be perfectly clear when dealing with Puck. So she cleared her throat. All right, then. I am, in fact, the lady of the house, only I don't wish to be a cruel or demanding one. I'm beginning to think I need magic to keep this place in good order. What are your terms? Robin clapped. Splendid, my dearest Judith. You've made a lovely choice. Judith's breath caught in her throat as she asked, How do you know my name? Robin's visage shifted. The dewdrops on his head became several spider eyes, all of them examining her as he laughed. I know a great many things, darling, enough to give you the magic to keep this house and ever so much more. All I ask is that you feed me every night fresh milk and bread. Judith nodded her head and quickly added, of course, Robin, I promise. He let out a contented whistle as clothes wove their way onto his body. Then he held out his elbow for Judith to take, and she walked with him to the house. Robin winked at her as they crossed the threshold, and Judith went to call for the staff. But when she turned back, he was gone. Still, she had a feeling that her adventures with Puck were only just beginning. Up next, Judith gets her home clean 
and her conscience dirty. You discover their practices, seek their advice, and let yourself become more vulnerable than ever before. They have the ability to heal what the doctors can't, or so they say. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the podcast series Cults. Be sure to check out our four-part special on miracle healers airing right now. Meet figures from around the world who claimed powers and pushed remedies, but harbored more sinister intentions. You don't want to miss it. And if you're looking for more episodes on the most radical and deadly groups in history, tune in to Cults every Tuesday. From Jim Jones and the People's Temple, to Charles Manson and the Manson family, to Keith Raniere and Nexium, you'll uncover the unscrupulous methods used to turn bright-eyed recruits into die-hard believers. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. Later that night, Judith set out a plate of bread and a saucer of milk for Puck. She felt slightly silly. Had she really asked the infamous Robin Goodfellow to help her keep her husband's manner tidy? Or had she hit her head, or perhaps laid in the sun too long? Was she going mad from the pressures of living beyond her humble upbringing? The more Judith tried to recall the memory, the more ridiculous it all seemed. So she went to her room and let exhaustion and uncertainty carry her to sleep. Judith woke slowly the next day. She never thought she'd get used to her maid, Mary, coming in to wake and dress her. But today, Mary's absence was notable. When Judith went out to call for her, she noticed the rest of her staff was groggy. She was about to inquire what had happened, but a strange sight silenced her. The walls were free of dust, and the wood molding gleamed with fresh polish. Judith descended the stairs to find even more pristine surroundings, and a dining table set for a feast with gleaming plates and mugs, a feast she hadn't ordered. This meant Robin was real, and he had outdone himself. Were Judith's husband to return tonight, he would find his house spotless, and she didn't need to tell a soul how she'd done it. For once, Judith had nothing to do, so she whiled away the hours with books and a game of chess against herself. She plucked chords on the piano in her husband's favorite room and wandered the estate's exquisitely manicured lawns. A life of leisure was such a strange treat for her tired hands. She didn't know what to do with herself, and she had to admit, it felt lovely. 
That night, she ate an indulgent dinner while Mr. Odlow, the butler, stood in the entryway. He didn't usually wait like this, but she suspected he now had nothing to do either. She was commending herself for making everyone's life easier when she realized that his eyes were shifting the way Robin's had the day before. But Judith blinked and the strange sight was gone just as quickly as it had come. Judith finished off the last morsel of roast lamb and sighed with contentment. She wondered if she should invite the staff to spend the evening with her. The idea left her head almost immediately. That was not something her husband would approve of. She may have grown closer to the maids, but she was not one of them. Odlow approached the table and, tilting his head softly to study her, he asked, is there anything else you require tonight, madam? There was a tinge of exasperation in his voice, perhaps even exhaustion, quite unusual for Odlow. Judith took a moment to compose herself. No, I'm quite well, thank you. Still, he lingered. Even though his job was to hover, he'd never encroached upon Judith's space this closely before. His eye shape narrowed and widened. It was so quick that Judith assumed it was just the wine. She cleared her throat and instructed, "'Send Mary up to my room to help me get ready for bed in an hour. Everyone else is dismissed for the night.' His lips tightened into a thin line. "'And the bread and milk, madam?' Judith didn't appreciate being questioned this way. It showed a disturbing lack of gratitude. Still, she remained magnanimous. Yes, please get some rest, you and everyone else. I can pour the milk and leave the bread myself. I'm not helpless. He gave a curt nod and disappeared. Judith was grateful to have the room to herself again, but as he left, she pondered when she had told Odlow about the bread and milk. She didn't have much time to think on the subject, as in no time at all, Mary appeared in the doorway to guide her upstairs. Mary's hands shook as she worked to undo the laces and stays of Judith's clothes. When Judith reached out to steady them, the shifting light of the candles revealed dark bruises from Mary's forearm up to her collarbone. Judith asked her what happened. Mary shook her head and muttered, "'It wouldn't do to speak of it, ma'am. "'Tis only a jest, but Puck does pinch "'if he thinks we aren't working hard enough. "'They're just little nips. "'I've been through worse.'" Judith was stunned. This was hardly the arrangement that she'd imagined. She wanted her house cleaned with magic, not malice. She promised to reprimand Puck immediately, but Mary grabbed her hands and whispered, "'You don't give orders to Robin Goodfellow, my lady. "'You merely feed him and abide.'" But Judith was done abiding. In fact, for the first time, she was ready to give orders. She asked, "'Tell me who gives Robin his orders, then?' Mary paled as she told her of the Fairy Queens and the land of Oberon. Then, after her eyes scanned the room, as if for hidden eavesdroppers, Mary leaned in close and told her that the Fae did have some weaknesses. Judith urged her to go on. 
Mary whispered that cold iron could repel the creatures, and some said they could be distracted by counting specks of salt, but the most powerful defense of all was to see through their tricks to their darkest secret, their one true name. Judith nodded resolutely. I will find his true name, Mary, and I will right his wrongs. This is my house, and Robin Goodfellow will learn his place in it. Judith donned her cloak and headed into the night. As she made her way across the gardens, she tried to ignore the fear that gnawed at her resolve. She preferred it when she thought the Fae were just creatures from her favorite play. But Puck was real, real enough to torture her servants. She had to find his name and save her staff. She began in the woods, a fair place to find the fair folk. Mary had told her a lot of stories, so she avoided the rings of woodland mushrooms as she moved through the undergrowth. If Puck was real, perhaps all the tales were. She did not fancy the idea of falling into a fairy ring and spending seven days in Oberon only to discover it had been seven years, or to be turned to dust when she returned. As Judith moved down the wooded path, the branches seemed to close around her, swallowing up moonlight and sound. She heard a rustling and looked up into the dense, dark canopy, but there was nothing there. No one she could see, at least. Judith adjusted her cloak and continued, chasing a small moonbeam that seemed to fight its way through the trees. She told herself to focus, but she had no idea what she was looking for. She soon grew tired and frustrated, her feet blistered and her clothes soaked in sweat. But that's when she saw it. The creature was not a goat, but it was not not a goat either. There was a certain gangly furriness to it that reminded her of her first encounter with Robin. Yet it also looked like a man, his body mangled and inverted. The wiry legs grew wide and long as his torso stretched and bent, exposing wet organs and tissue. Judith darted behind a tree and threw herself to the ground. She held her breath as she peered through the leaves, trying not to scream. The creature moved with a familiar languidness as it transformed into a heavy draft horse with large eyes, dark and glassy like the spidery ones she had seen on Robin. Her heart thundered and her stomach churned as she watched the animal squirm, sometimes like a great beast of burden, sometimes like a snake or a man. A leather collar grew from the horse's neck, as if emerging from a bed of clay. Judith's eyes then caught the glint of metal in the moonlight as a small pendant rose from the creature's open chest cavity to affix itself to the collar. It seemed to be as much a part of him as the mess of organs it had been concealed in. Judith's eyes went wide as realization hit her. If this collar had come from deep inside Puck, perhaps it held his true name. Now all she had to do was find a way to rip it from the monster's neck. Coming up, 
Judith fights a fairy to regain control of her home. Now, back to the story. Judith cowered on the ground behind a tree, observing Puck as he bucked and shuffled in his monstrous horse-like form. She could make out the glint of a silver pendant on his neck, one she hoped bore his true name. If she could get her hands on it, maybe she could bind him and stop the late-night toil of her household servants, a torture she had accidentally inflicted upon them. Judith took a deep breath, preparing to rush out of the leaves and snatch the pendant. But just then, luck intervened, like a kind fairy dropping in to help. The horse rubbed its neck against a nearby tree. The strange thing grunted, then purred as the collar slipped from its neck and landed on the forest floor. Judith's eyes stayed locked on the collar as the creature cantered off toward town with a speed no pack horse could manage. She waited for what felt like a century before pushing herself up off the ground. She tiptoed to the leather ring and picked it up ever so carefully, as if she were sure it could grow fangs at any moment. Its silver pendant was small, but she could read the letters plain as day. Puck. Her heart sank. That title was known far and wide. It was no secret and held no mystic truth she could use against him. But then she turned it over and realized there was writing on the other side. Judith stifled a whoop of glee. She'd found the hobgoblin's true name. She stuffed the collar into her pack and gripped it tight the whole way home. When she reached the manor, Judith nearly tripped over Mary, who was setting out milk and bread on the doorstep. Judith pulled the offerings from her young servant's mottled hands and tossed them in the dirt. We will not appease him. I've solved Puck's riddle, and I know his tricks. You are safe. She did her best to sound confident and capable, even though the misshapen figure she saw in the woods had frightened her to her core. Judith retired to bed, clutching Puck's collar tightly under the covers. She didn't think she would sleep, but as soon as her head hit the pillow, she slipped away from the waking world. Judith dreamed of goats that gnawed her legs down to the bone, but no matter how much she screamed and flailed, their eyes never wavered from hers as they chewed. Judith woke up in a cold sweat and saw that her room was covered in gray flecks. For a moment, she thought it was snowing, but it was ash, piles of it, knee-high and blocking the doorway. Judith panicked, searching for a fire, but there was no smoke or flame. Still, she felt like she was suffocating. She coughed into her hand, then gasped when blood-speckled dust coated her palm. Was the fire inside her? She grasped at her neck. Her throat felt like it had been scratched by long talons. 
She needed water and air. She needed the servants to help her, but there were no servants. There was only a broom leaning against her bedside. So Judith crawled from beneath the blankets, still holding Puck's collar close to her chest, and grabbed the broom. The wooden handle splintered in her hands as she swept her way through the gray banks of ash to the door. Her hands bled and she choked and coughed. Suddenly, she almost missed scrubbing her home's endless halls. When she finally reached the handle of her bedroom door, the metal was as cold as ice. She turned it quickly and pushed the door open. If she'd hoped that her room was some horrible anomaly, that wish died as she stumbled into the hallway. Spindly strands of dust floated across walls like spider webs. The portraits that lined the walls were covered in grime so thick that she couldn't make out the painting's subjects. Insect and animal carcasses littered the floor. Large flowers of mold bloomed on the floors, climbing the walls in search of new things to putrefy. Judith was horrified. It was the worst mess she'd ever seen in her life. Judith heard hooves slowly click their way up the stairs. When she jerked her head to the stairwell, she saw a mop of familiar curls rise into view. A man was moving up the steps, or at least something that was partly a man. Judith cried out, Robin? A dark laugh came from below her, and a familiar voice said, I hate to be a bother, but you left me no choice. I worked so hard for you. I practically tore my own skin off to make your precious home shine. Puck had now climbed enough stairs so that Judith could take in the full, horrifying picture. She'd met him as a goat, then as a man, and now he was a combination. From his torso down, he had the body of a goat. The top half of his chest and beyond was still human. He was caught between beings, just as she felt helplessly caught between worlds. Still, she chafed at his words. Judith couldn't remember asking for anyone's skin. She had only agreed to what he'd offered, a small bit of help. She insisted, I'm sorry you feel that way, Robin. I only took what you gave me. Robin's smile turned sinister. No, love, we made a deal. You asked no questions and I told no lies. You wanted so desperately to avoid the demands of your station that you sought to bend reality around you. Well, I have done that, and here is your ugly truth. Puck's eyes glinted with malice as he continued. You stand in the fetid remains of your dreams. Your palace is consumed by rot and decay, and your throat is coated with the charred bones of your staff and husband. You were born and raised in dirt, Judith, and you will die in it too. Judith felt terror grip her chest, but she refused to show fear. She cried out, 
It's only a trick. You're a trickster, but I know your true name, and so you will yield to me. She raised the collar in front of her, and Robin drew back in shock. The falling ash froze in midair, then began to rise upwards. The blooms of mold collapsed in on themselves, fading to nothingness. Soon, the house was spotless. Judith exhaled. It was a trick. It was all a trick. But then Puck leaned forward, squinted at the collar, and cocked his head. He laughed. He sighed. Then he fixed her with a look of such gentle pity that Judith was sure she would be saved. But Puck's eyes hardened, and he sneered, Oh, darling, that collar belongs to the puck down the street. Judith didn't understand. She listened to the stories and found a loophole. That was how it worked, wasn't it? But somewhere in the depths of her soul, she knew she was grappling with something unknowable she couldn't comprehend. A mass of pucks and a world of fae, all more powerful than she could ever be. Judith wished she'd found serenity in the knowledge of her ignorance, or that perhaps in that moment, some great truth was revealed to her that cracked the world open and suddenly made sense. But nothing would make sense to her, not anymore, because Judith was swept up into the forest, never to be seen again. Puck is not a name, it's a classification. So is Robin Goodfellow. While the trickster's most noted appearance is in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, legends from the time describe a horde of pucks and Robin Goodfellows overrunning the countryside. The nature of fairies has been embattled in England for centuries. Puck was used as a synonym for incubus or devil in English Protestant texts from the 16th century onward. Fairies were demons, they insisted, who masqueraded as remnants of old Celtic gods to prey upon the weak and faithless. So is Robin Goodfellow a devil, a maid, a fairy, or something else entirely? The truth is, he is all of this and more. They, the pucks, are all of this and more. The ambiguous nature of fairies is what gives them their power. They live in a world outside of ours, either under or beside us, impossible to see. They come to us bound by secret rules and ancient weaknesses, cold iron, spilled salt, and true names. We do not understand them, and they do not understand us, but they delight in toying with our ignorance nonetheless. Romances and horror stories have been written about fairy nobility, but Puck is a creature of song and whispers. Tributes to his pranks can be found in pre-18th century poetry and music, but he rarely has a story or adventure of his own. He's instead treated as a fact of life rather than a force to be beaten. You cannot avoid inconvenience, embarrassment, or ill fortune forever. The test comes in how you court favor and what you do when that favor is lost. 
In the book The Anatomy of Puck, K.M. Briggs points out that while Shakespeare's predecessors dramatized noble fairies, hobgoblins like Puck were avoided out of the fear that the tricksters might get their revenge. This fear was so great that Shakespeare himself built an apology into his play, spoken by the actor who played Puck. And as I am an honest Puck, if we have unearned luck, now to scape the serpent's tongue, we will make amends ere long, else the Puck a liar call. So good night unto you all. The final lines may appear to be benevolent, but the closer you look, the more sinister they seem. Perhaps they're a dark promise to achieve retribution by any means. Give me your hands if we be friends, and Robin shall restore amends. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Riche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mythical Monsters.